Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times and the Pointer Institute. On this podcast, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm a former enterprise editor at the Times. Today's topic, a message from Roger. For those who aren't familiar with the story we're going to talk about, just know that this is a really a sweet one, and it's heartbreaking too. It's about a man who found a message in a bottle and how he learned about the boy who'd written it. We'll include a link with the podcast, and you also can find the story in Lane's book, The Girl in the Window, and Other True Tales. I always like to start with asking Lane how she found the story, but in this case, the story found Lane. So a man calls the newsroom looking for help. Take it from there. Tell us how this evolved. Yeah, I actually, I, I didn't spend like a whole lot of time just sitting at my desk in the newsroom, but I had broken my foot and I was like stuck at my desk and the phone rang and he basically was like, I need your help. Like he'd read some of my other stories. He knew I kind of like to write human interest stories or, or stories about, you know, people in the shadows. And he was like, I need your help. I found this bottle. I like scooped it out of the canal. I think it was over July 4th weekend, maybe even like a holiday weekend. And it was an old um, Pepsi bottle. And he read me the note that was in the bottle that was basically like, to whoever finds this, you know, please write me a note and let me know you found it and, and it has a, a name at the bottom of it. And so I knew I wanted to see it, right? I, I knew we would need a photo of it if we were going to do a story, but I really wanted to see it too, to see like, how old was it? What did the handwriting look like? You know, what kind of a note was it? Um, so I invited myself over and a photographer and I went over to his house. You were intrigued from the get-go. I was, I was intrigued, but I was also like, is this a trope? You know, like message in a bottle just sounds so like, okay, sure, whatever. And and I didn't know if, you know, the canal with this part of Tampa Bay where this man lived, it's all these little teeny tiny canals that wind in and out behind the houses because everybody's a boat owner. So I was like, maybe somebody just up the street dropped the note in the bottle. You know, it, it could have just wound around in these little neighborhood forever. So that I didn't know, I didn't know if it was going to be interesting or not, but I felt like it would be worth driving over there. It was 15 minutes away, so. Wow. I'm just, I'm just trying to imagine that. I try to imagine a lot of reporters getting this cold call from somebody who says, I found a bottle, message in a bottle, um, you know, kind of drop everything and come on over and take a look. Um, but okay, sure. Yeah, he was like, he was willing to bring it to the paper, but I wanted to see where it was, you know, I wanted to see right. where he fished it out of. So, right. Um, so unfortunately, and spoiler alert, you find out that the boy who wrote the message um, has died and um, felt like the story could have ended right there. I mean, you know, okay, there we solved the mystery. We know who the kid was. Something ha awful happened to him. But um, then clearly Don, the guy who finds the bottle, is determined to find the family. Is that what kept you going? It's like, okay, you got to see how this all plays out. He, he was so motivated to find the parents of this kid. Like he was a, a parent himself and he kind of appealed to me as a parent as well. It was like, 
if your kid died, wouldn't you want to know that, that something was still out there from them that like this, this clearly is a message in the bottle of some kind, you know? And so he was really determined to find uh, Roger's mom and dad. And so I just went with him. I was like, yes, hell yeah, let's do it. You know, I, I had no idea what was going to happen or how they would react or if we'd be able to find them or not, you know, they had kind of a common name. And so it was, yeah, we didn't know what was going to happen. Um, you became a part of the story. I mean, not not a big part of the story, but you, like I said, you you guys find out what happened to the kid and you have to deliver the news to Don. And it's interesting to me that you use that in the story. It's like you calling him up. So Lane writes, I called Don Smith and read him the news. He coughed he, or choked or something. Um, I liked I liked how you did that. I liked that you incorporated that. Okay, here's this mystery. It's very quickly solved, but here's this conversation that goes back. And it's almost like in that moment, he decides, okay, but I still got to keep going with this. Um, I'm just curious your choice there about including it, including yourself, because I know you're very reluctant, as am I, to put put yourself in the story. I was, and I, I didn't want to be a character in the story, but I knew I was sort of between Karen and I, we were the connectors. You know, he wasn't finding this out by himself but I was not going to be the one to make that call. You know, I wanted him to take it and do what he was going to do with it and then kind of follow that along. But I think, you know, if we had written, if we'd written the story like a traditional like news or feature story, it would have been like, oh man, and Venetia and I found a note in a bottle that belonged to a boy who died and called his mom. You know what I mean? And, and it would have been maybe like a weird little brief or whatever, but I thought, well, this story, the, the fun of the story was unraveling the mystery, right? Like the process of finding out who wrote the note, what happened to them, you know? So I thought, well, let me just take readers along for the ride, you know, like, let me just be the detective and have them come along as we work through the steps of the process rather than obfuscating the process, you know, or giving them the result of the process. Let's make the readers part of the process. And I thought that would be more fun. Talk about that choice about you not making the call and you instead giving him the numbers to call. Like I could have seen it go both ways, actually. I could have seen you deciding, okay, let me see if I can help connect these two families. But um, in a way, it feels like it worked out better to let him be the one that reaches out. I think so too, because because that way he's controlling the story. I'm I'm not I'm contributing to it, but I'm not controlling it. You know what I mean? And he gets to present it in whatever way. He went to present it. Now, if he hadn't wanted to call her, I think I would have done it. You know, I would have said, okay, if you don't want to do it, I'll do it. But he wanted to. And, and I thought it was better to kind of, I would always rather have my people drive the bus than have me take over, you know. Um, but this, I think the story was revelatory in, the, in that you can, you can bring readers along for the ride. You know, you can make them sort of like x-ray behind the process and see how it worked and how it unfolded. And I think if it's not too heavy handed, people appreciate that sometimes, you know, this was a pretty short story. So it wasn't like a spend three years with me unraveling, you know, the mystery of the tomb or whatever. But I think I, I wanted people to feel like, oh, my God, you know, like if you see someone on the beach finding a note in the bottle and you just want to tag along and see what happened. You know, I, I like the journey stories when the reporter brings you along. If it's again, if it's not like, uh, you know, look at me, I'm the reporter. But it's more like we're trying to solve something. And so, yeah, in that case, then then sort of the steps along the process feel more genuine and it doesn't feel like you're trying to force something for the reader, right? You're just, here we are trying to solve all these mysteries. Um, so I was curious, Roger's the name of the little boy and I was curious about his family in terms of you. Like, 
not only does this man call me out of the blue and say, I found your son's bottle, but I've got a reporter tagging along with this story. Like, did they, were they at all reluctant? Were they surprised you, you were interested? No, I don't think so. But again, Don brokered that for me. You know, I didn't have to. When he talked to Roger's mom and they wanted to meet up for, she wanted to meet up for dinner. It wasn't just like hand off the bottle. She wanted to meet up for dinner. And she, you could tell, I mean, I don't know, my heart breaks to even think about it. She wanted to talk about Roger. You know, he'd been dead for several years. And how else do you bring your dead kid back to life but talking about him, you know? So she wanted to have dinner and tell them about Roger and tell them about their trip to Clearwater. And so Don was like, well, I've been working with this reporter and she's the one who found you. Is it okay if she comes? And she was like, absolutely. You know, I don't, I don't think there was hesitation. I didn't ever have to talk her into it. I just showed up at the restaurant, you know? I showed up, yeah. So yeah, I wanted you to talk a little more about that dinner, which I, to me just... um I can't imagine how heartbreaking it is and and this so emotional a moment to have this the, these strangers meet and feel this connection to this little boy from years ago um uh and you I imagine just sort of became a fly on the wall. Yeah, I mean that was it was the best kind of reporting imaginable to just sit and listen and watch, you know. I mean, it was super emotional and Don and his wife were there and then Rogers I think it was his mom and his stepdad. I don't think it was his dad. I don't remember exactly, but she had a partner too. Mm-hmm. And all four of them were bawling. You know, all four of these people around the table are just crying and sobbing. And so of course they tell the waiter what's going on and then the people around them hear the story. So it kind of became involved. You know, it wasn't like a little private moment. It sort of became more public as the evening went on. Um, and then at that point in time, after after dinner, you know, when they were sitting there having coffee and they'd already done all their stuff, that's when I kind of got to jump in and ask the mom my own whatever follow-up questions that I had, <coughs> you know, in, in the rest of the moment. I, uh, I I get asked a lot, and I'm sure you do too, Lane, about, you know, observational reporting, because I think it's so difficult and people um, don't really get trained up. I didn't get trained up. Nobody trained me to do that kind of thing. You know, they trained me to ask questions and they trained me to go get documents and things like that. But but in a moment like that, when you're sitting at a table and you're watching these people, um, what are you writing in your notebook? What What are you capturing? I mean, first and foremost, I think dialogue, um, but also body language. You know, when, when people choke up, when they turn their head away, when they hang their head or, or look in their lap or don't answer questions. Um, silence, you know, I report for silence, which I didn't used to do, like it's is there a moment when people just don't have anything else to say or, or can't bring themselves to say something? Um, I think she was, she had pictures she was bringing out and showing pictures. And so I was, I was looking at the pictures. I always have this little war with myself when I'm going out to eat with somebody while I'm reporting, you know, do I want to order food and then try to eat while I'm taking notes and observing and be part of the table? Or do I not order food and just be like, you know, a vulture is like hovering over everybody. And I don't know what the right answer is for that because I, I almost always end up ordering something and then not eating it, you know, or like picking at it because it's almost impossible to eat a meal while you're taking notes and watching people and things. But if you're just watching. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And they pay more attention to you, right? Because you're not part of the, the mix. So yeah, I, I struggle with that. But and mostly I'm, I was listening for dialogue primarily and kind of watching their body language and um, their exchanges, you know. That's interesting about the food. Yeah, I... I... I was remembering being a young reporter and when people would offer you something, you come to their home and they'd say, do you want a drink? You want a coffee or something? And I always, I I would say no. And then I got into the habit of saying yes, because I felt like it made them more comfortable. Like, you know, even I'm in your home and you're, you know, you're playing host, but then invariably I wouldn't drink it because I was in the middle of something. But, but anyway, yeah, it makes you part of the, you know, yeah, you can, you can kind of, fall into the background a little more easily, I guess, if it looks like you're just part of the dinner table. Um, it's also weird to try to tell people to ignore you. You know, I mean, I know photographers do that all the time, but I think naturally, especially when you're in conversation or around a, a table at a restaurant, you want to include all the parties in the conversation and, and make them feel like they're part of it. And I had to keep going, I'm not part of this, you know, don't, don't ask me about anything yet. We'll talk afterward. I think I kept saying that we'll talk afterward. You guys do you, you know, like I, I don't have to be part of the scene, right? I don't want to be part of this scene right now. You know, I just want to be a fly on the wall. I'm imagining though, that you're over there sobbing as these people are also sobbing. So it'd be hard not to look at you, and like not be distracted a little bit. Big tears dropping on the notepad. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, I wanted you to talk a little bit about the choices between the dialogue and the details. Like I noticed in the story, and of course that dinner table conversation, um, there are times that you let Roger's mother, you know, you quote her, there's something that she said, and there are times where you just quickly give us some background on Roger. Um, and I'm just wondering, you know, are you making consciously making those choices even as you're reporting, or do you feel like that comes later when you're sitting down to write and you're just um, you know, you, you're reminded of the moments when her, what she said really spoke to you and that, you know, how you go about making those choices. That That's exactly what it is. I think I, I'm not thinking about it when I'm reporting. I mean, I, I do try to listen for really good quotes. So if I hear a really good quote that I think, oh my God, that's the, the way they said that, you know, or, or what they were able to express. And I'll write it down in big giant quote marks in my notebook. So I know I want to use that quotation, whereas the rest of the stuff I'm often just summarizing, you know, or paraphrasing what they're saying. I'm not getting down directly what they say. Um, but I think when I choose to sit down and write, I'm like, what did they say that I can't say any better? right? Like Kelly Benham French used to make fun of me because I used so many quotes and she would say, you're the writer, you know, you can write it better than they can say it. And she really helped get inside my head in terms of like, did they say it better than I could write it? And in that case, like, yes, absolutely. Let's use their words. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so yeah. Thanks, well, and, let's, <laughs> and so let's clarify too, because it's quoted material, but this, in this case, you're actually, it's dialogue going back and forth between Roger's mother and Don and his wife. Um, which we both love a lot more than quotes most of the time. Like the, the you know, the, as we've said in other podcasts, dialogue is real people talking to each other. You know, quotes sometimes are people talking to a reporter, and that becomes inherently stiff sometimes. Or you know, you know, people are trying to just give you a soundbite so that you'll go away. Um, the beauty of this kind of situation that you put yourself in when you when you have a chance to tell a scene 
is that you get to hear this natural emotion going back and forth and you you're hearing Roger's mom tell the story of Roger and every once in a while her heart's breaking and you know she's having a hard time getting something out and you're doing the big thing where you're putting big quote marks on um but you know that just remember that capturing that dialogue folks is so powerful and it it really does it puts you in the scenes so much better than like, you know, Roger's mother turning to you and saying, Lane, it was so painful to lose him. Well, you know, yeah, obviously, but that back and forth is so much better, I think. And it was also super helpful that, you know, Don had a lot of the same questions that I did. You know, he almost stood in as a surrogate reporter because he was curious about the same things that I would have started out asking questions with. So I was like, okay, Don, go ahead, do my job. You know, But it felt, I think it felt, much more, even though I was like guiding the readers through it in terms of the process, I think I was much more invisible because Don got to be the one to actually sort of do the asking, if that makes sense. Yeah. And you guys didn't prep that at all. You just let it flow. You just let him go because he, I'm sure, had the natural curiosity. Um, I love that you explained the science of the bottle, right? Because as you follow the story, there's a moment where Lane has a section where she basically explains why this bottle could have ended up here after the kid threw it in the water all those years ago. What drove you to do that? Was it your own thought or was that something that they all kept wondering? How did it, how is it that it only went that far? That was Mike Wilson. (laughs) That was my wonderful editor at the time. It was like, Lane, you gotta, so I think I reported the story in a day and then I wrote it in a day. And then he was like, I'm going to hold it another day because we need some science in here. He's like, as a, as an audience, I'm okay. So to explain the geography a little bit, he, Roger dropped the bottle in, uh, in the Gulf of Mexico off of Clearwater beach. And it floated all the way down the Western shore of Florida down past, you know, St. Pete beach around the bottom of the, the peninsula and into Tampa Bay and up to the canal. So it basically like, circumnavigated a peninsula of, around Tampa Bay. It was, it was weird, like how it, it got there. And so Mike wanted me to find some expert person who could talk about currents and tides and how a bottle, it, I think it was like, I don't know how many years, it was like 20 years or something that the bottle had been bopping around out there in the Bay. You could, it was so cool because you could tell on the Pepsi logo, you know, we looked up the old Pepsi logo, like when was that, it would have been, and the date on it too, and the note, he had dated the note. So it was a long time. It was like 20 years it had been out there. But I didn't want to do the science. I was like, who cares? I like the magic and the mystery of the message in the bottle. You know, and Mike was like, it's going to make the story so much stronger if you get someone who knows what they're talking about <laughs> to explain. And, and in the end, it was super fun to do that because there was no actual scientific answer. It was like a possibility. It could have done this. It could have done that. It could have done whatever. But it was totally plausible that it could have happened. And I think that was what Mike wanted me to like bring to the readership and say like, it's not some magical genie thing. It's like, it's weird, but here's how it happened or could have happened. I'm not a boater, but I guess I'm imagining that that ride, if you took it in a boat in maybe an hour, hour and a half from one place to the other, it's not, it's not that big a distance in some ways, but, but yeah, but the science sort of made you think, well, yeah, but it could have bounced all over the place before it finally made its way into into Tampa Bay. Um, yeah, because even by car, that would be at least an hour trip, you know, yeah. from Clearwater down to the Skyway Bridge and back up Tampa Bay. Right. You right. know, that, yeah, it was a weird route that that little bottle took, you know. So go back a second. The, the, so he calls you. You guys quickly find out what happened to Roger. 
Don quick, quickly calls the family, gets in touch with the sister, very quickly realizes that Roger's mother is in town, like on vacation, really close by, and dinner is arranged. All of that happens in a, in a day, basically. A day, not better than a day or two. Yeah, yeah. I think two days. Yeah, that was a, we skipped over that. That was a crazy coincidence of the whole thing was this little boy was from Ohio. They've been on vacation in Florida in Clearwater when he dropped the bottle. Everybody goes back to Ohio, you know, kind of forgets about that moment, whatever. Then the kid gets killed in his 20s on a motorcycle. And the mom had left on the anniversary of the death to escape Ohio where he died and come to their happy place, which was Clearwater. So she's like, it happens to be found like near the anniversary of his death. She happens to be right here. You know what I mean? It was like so many weird coincidences, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was I was us. But again, I just want to point out for um the folks who are listening and and you know why I always loved working with you. I, there are a lot of reporters who wouldn't pursue this, who just wouldn't, you know, who might think, okay, yeah, that's kind of interesting but wouldn't take the chance. And I know you and I have talked a lot about, you know, just give me a day, give me a day. Let me see what I can do in a day. And, you know, taking the chance to see if it turns into something. And if it doesn't, well, you've wasted a day, but it's not that big a deal, right? But on the other hand, you might end up with a story that ends up being published in an anthology because it's such a good story. That, um, and like you said, all the pieces kind of fell into place, which is crazy. Um, I, I was going to ask you about the reaction to the story because I imagine that it was so heartbreaking that it had to have uh, struck a chord with 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 the audience. A, a lot of the readers wanted to reach out to Roger's mom. You know, it, it wasn't so much as about like great story. It was like I, I want to sh- tell her that you know I've been through a similar thing or I lost a child or I want to comfort her because I've been there and you know it was, it was a lot of that. Um, and then some other weird, like, oh, I found this thing. Maybe you'd be interested in this for a story. You know, it was some of that too. Um, but I think, you know, my worry about it being a trope of a message in the bottle actually was the opposite. You know, I think because everybody was actually kind of really, really excited about a message in a bottle. Like, and a lot of people, I've never done that, but a lot of people had like dropped a note in a bottle somewhere or found something that they thought had. I mean, I've been a reporter on the coast my whole life. I can't tell you how many stories I've done about things that washed up or that people found in the beach or whatever. And and those are really cool stories usually, you know what I mean? So I think that universality of like the mystery of the message in the bottle actually helped the story, you know? All right, y'all, thanks for listening. Uh, Please check out this story in one fashion or another. Don't forget, you can find other episodes on pointer.org forward slash right lane. And please join our Facebook group. This podcast was produced by Jesse Lauk. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.